Uh, so tonight is the last of a series we've been doing on the four foundations of mindfulness. Um, I'm going to re- review them all a little bit just in case you haven't come to the previous ones. Uh, first, let's start out with my, what, what is mindfulness? Uh, that's what you're all supposedly have been doing for the last half hour. Um, mindfulness is paying attention to what is without being judgmental of it without embellishing it, without reacting to it, just paying attention to what is. In Vipassana, or insight meditation, the reason we pay attention to what is, is so we can figure out how to be happier. Because if we don't pay attention to what is, the habits of mind that make us suffer take over, can take over. Um, and those habits are very deeply ingrained. So it requires training the mind to really pay attention to see how do we make ourselves suffer and how do we make ourselves stop suffering? How do we make ourselves happier? The four foundations of mindfulness help us do that. Um, the, our minds are habitual, uh, they're really habitual machines. They tend to do the same thing all the time. and. Um, one of what the four foundations of mindfulness is, is they make us look at things we don't normally look at. And by doing that, we get to see what's hidden. Uh, the things that uh, affect us very deeply that we don't normally even notice. Um, a good example is um, right now we're, uh, we're about to paint our house and we had to decide what color to paint it. So... Um, you know, we walk around our neighborhood all the time. And um, all of a sudden, when we decide to paint our house, I now know what color all our neighbors' houses are. <laughs> and, um, you know, I had no idea how many had painted their trim this one color or another color. And uh, it's just because I'm, I have a reason, so my, I expanded what I actually noticed. Um, and that's what the training of the four foundations is about. Uh, we probably, most of us sit down and we go, okay, let's be mindful. But we're usually mindful of a very narrow field, what we're habitually mindful of. And often, a lot of things that cause us a lot of pain, uh, we don't even notice until we're finding ourselves upset or, um, or angry or irritated. Um, in the four foundations of mindfulness, nothing is left out. Mindfulness, any object, anything, the slightest irritation, an itch, uh, the slightest anything is an object of meditation. The entire universe is an object of meditation. Nothing is left out. Um, the four foundations, just in case some of you are new, are mindfulness of the body, which all of you have probably done that to some extent if you pay attention to your breath. You know, that's a part of mindfulness in the body. Uh, the second one is mindfulness of the feeling tone, or Vedana, which is whether something's pleasant or unpleasant. The third one is mindfulness of mind, uh, which is mindfulness of the, um, the quality of the mind, whether your mind is greedy or not greedy, whether it's angry or not angry whether it's diluted or whether it's clear and stable. 
And the fourth foundation is what I'll be covering, um, which is called mindfulness of dhammas. Um, and I'll do, go over that in a, uh, in a little bit more. Um, what I wanted to say was, you know, there's, um, there's two ways of, uh, that teachers, two basic ways that teachers teach the four foundations. One way is called prescriptive, which means they teach it as a series of exercises. And there are actually 21 exercises in the four foundations of mindfulness. And the other way is descriptive, which means that instead of seeing it as an exercise, you pay attention to what is, whatever arises. But you learn this map of the different things that can arise. And so when things arise, you have a context through which to understand your experience. And um, so these are like two different ways that you can work with it. And some teachers work with both. Um, the four foundations of mindfulness start out from the gross to the subtle. So you start out with the body. Um, in fact, you start out with the body, um, you know, with the body postures. Uh, with activities, and you get subtler and subtler into uh, the feeling tone, into the mind states, and into what we'll cover in a few minutes in the in the fourth foundation of the dhammas. Um, before before I go on into the fourth foundation, um, does anybody have any uh, questions? about the first foundation of mindfulness, the um, mindfulness of the body. Um, just very briefly, the way um, it's taught is it starts out with mindfulness of the breath, which I'm sure everyone here probably has been doing that. And then it shifts into mindfulness of the body postures so that you know whether you're sitting, you know whether you're standing, laying down. And then mindfulness to bring it into our activities. You know, when you bend over to pick something up, when you walk to another room. Um, then the 32 parts of the body, uh, which was an exercise of, uh, of really uh, looking at your body kind of objectively like a bag of bones and a, uh, a bunch of blood vessels, a bunch of nerves. It's a way of just really paying attention to the body in a very objective manner. Um, and then we talk, uh, then uh, the four elements, you know, really seeing that the body is made up of earth, air, fire, the same elements, the same atoms that are found in this plant are found in us. And so practicing with those uh, different approaches um, help us broaden how we identify with who we think we are. And then the last of the meditations in the body, there's actually nine of them, are meditating on, on uh, corpses, on dead bodies, which in this culture we don't often get a chance to do. Um, here death is kind of hidden away. Uh, we were very fortunate, um, you know, very recently when a Sangha member died uh, recently, where many of us were uh, able to sit with her before she died. Uh, we sat with the dying body. Some of us went to the to her cremation. It was quite a blessing to be able to be part of this uh, cycle of life. 
Um, so, is there, do you have any questions about how that's a foundation of? Uh, as I go through these, you know, pl- please feel free if you if anything comes up that that you feel needs clarification. Um, the second foundation is very important because that's um, the feeling tone of an experience, because that's really where we can get caught quite easily. For instance, um, if you're sitting here, let's say it's a very hot day, and you feel you're mindful of, oh, it's the air conditioning is hitting me. It's really cool. It's really that feels really good. And if you don't be aware of that, what can easily happen is. Oh, yeah, boy, I wish I had air conditioning at home. And that's really expensive. Maybe, you know, maybe I should try to get a raise. Or oh, my boss is really uptight. He'll never give me a raise, you know. And all of a sudden you're in this whole other state that has nothing to do with the present moment and might even get into a negative state about your uptight boss. And that's all because you didn't notice a pleasant sensation. And same thing happens with an unpleasant sensation. You know, you might be sitting there dripping sweat and the air conditioning doesn't kick on. And, you know, you wonder about the management in this place. You know, God, who runs this place? You know, and, um, you know, they're so irresponsible. They should have, you know, fixed the air conditioning and, and on and on. So that happens all day long. We're continuously having either pleasant sensations or unpleasant sensations, and our minds are taking off in all these different directions over and over and over again. So training with Vedana, with with this particular um, um, foundation, is something you could actually... uh, I don't know if any of you have ever tried this, but you can spend the whole day just focusing on that instead of the breath. Just notice, pleasant, unpleasant. You take a bite of a sandwich, pleasant. You keep chewing. Does it turn, does it still pleasant? As you write, when you swallow it, is swallowing pleasant? Uh, So all day long, we're continuously going from pleasant to unpleasant and uh, and reacting to, to that. The third foundation is really, um, that's where we notice whether we are attached or not. That's really what we're looking at in the mind. When we look at the quality of the mind, is this an attached mind right at this moment? If you want at this very moment something to be different than it is, you're attached. So you're either attached by wanting something, which is greed or desire, or you're pushing something away, which is aversion. Or you might be just confused, which is delusion. So at every moment, there's some mind state going on. So it's either greedy or non-greedy, aversive or non-aversive. If there isn't peace in your mind, there's attachment. You're clinging to something. If your mind is not peaceful, you are clinging to something. There's something you're not seeing. So the first three foundations, okay, so body, feeling tone, and the mind states, uh, they're all paying attention to what's there. They're very simple paying attention. This is here. This is what it's like. 
The difference in the fourth foundation is that the fourth foundation pays very careful attention to the process of clinging and letting go of clinging. So it's like the entire process from beginning to end. Um, and it does it by, by looking at five different categories of experience. Uh, so the fourth foundation is called the mindfulness of dhammas. Dhammas can mean, um, there's a capital D like dhamma, which is like the, the path, uh, the truth. But there's also the, in Pali, the little d, dhammas, which actually means things. So it covers most of the things, most of the things in the mind. In fact, it covers all of the things in the mind, any thought, any emotion, any intention, those are dhammas. Everything that's running around in your mind, um, those are all dhammas. And um, so the five categories. Um, there's the, I'll name the categories first. There are the hindrances, uh, the five hindrances, the, the five aggregates, the six sense bases, the seven factors of awakening, and the Four Noble Truths. And I'm going to go ahead and touch on all those in a minute. Uh, but I want you to kind of think of this as the five categories as a filter. Each one's like a different filter in which you look at the same thing, and which, which is your mind. And by looking at it through different filters, we're going to get like a different aspect of how our mind runs. Um, you know, you you look at things depending on the reason you're looking at them for. For instance, like I mentioned, the house, you know, if you want to paint it, you're looking at the color. Uh, let's say you have an elephant, you know. Uh, how do we look at an elephant? Let's say you want to take a picture of the elephant. So you're going to look at the color, what's the lighting like, what's the texture, you know, how close am I to it. But let's say you want to put that elephant in a truck. You know, you want to look at the size, how much is the weigh, or let's say you want to uh, pet it, you know, then you want to maybe look at its temperament. So the, whatever your purpose is for looking at anything is how you should look at it. And um, what's the purpose of the fourth foundation of mindfulness? It's liberation, it's freedom. So we're going to look at our minds through the eyes of what gives us freedom. It's important to notice that when we're working with the fourth foundation, um, we're often working with thoughts and often in meditation because it's usually so much more pleasant when there's few thoughts in the mind. Um, it's very easy to think of thoughts a little bit like, like they don't belong, that's the enemy, let's get rid of them. And so it's really important to really think about thoughts, you know, as, um, you know, as part of our meditation. And what's important is what we do with our thoughts. And in the fourth foundation, there's a little bit more thinking involved or contemplation. 
Um, we want to turn our thoughts to a useful purpose. For instance, if you're sitting around, you know, thinking about, um, um, you know, when's the sitting going to be over, okay? It's very easy to look at that thought and go, wow, that thought isn't useful. Uh, that thought doesn't make me happy. That just thought, you know, makes me even more impatient. So how do we think in a way that's useful? And, um, and that's what we're going to do with these five different categories. That's why the Buddha said, okay, um, you've got a mind that thinks. It likes to think. It's able to think. Let's use that thinking process in a way that can free the mind. So, first of all, um, um, let's work with, I'm going to start with the hindrances. Um, now, how many of you have, stud, have uh, studied a little bit with the hindrances? Are you, how familiar, do most of you familiar with them? Okay, so, um, uh, what the hindrances are, they're the obstacles to clear awareness that happen in meditation. They have, there's five of them. And um, desire, that's when you want something to be different. Uh, you want the room to be cooler. There's aversion. You want the person next to you to be uh, quieter. There's restlessness, when the mind just keeps kind of going and and doesn't let you be peaceful. There's sloth and torpor when you're just really struggling to stay awake and you have low energy. And there's doubt when you think, I'll never learn how to meditate. Uh, or, you know, am I doing it right? I can't, can't get this right. Or those kind of thoughts. So that's very, very briefly uh, the five hindrances. Um, you know, in the past, we've had classes where we spend like an entire hour on each one of them. So I will be touching through these lightly. Um, uh, but the really wonderful thing about mindfulness is that we can turn these hindrances into the objects of our meditation. And so they're not a problem. And what we look to do in the fourth foundation of mindfulness is to not only recognize the hindrance, for instance, to see here's desire, but to really pay such close attention that we see the desire arise out of a quiet mind. And then we see the desire, we watch desire go away, disappear. And uh, we notice what caused the desire to begin with. Um, For instance, uh, let's say you have uh, something happen at work. And somebody said something that hurt your feelings, okay? So, you know, you, here you sit down to meditate, and, um, and the memory of that comes up, and you get really angry at this person who made that comment. So, um, so you know, you might catch it in the middle. Ah, that's anger, aversion, you know? So then you stay with it, and you stay with it, until eventually that strong emotion starts going away. It gets calm. It starts going away. And you're quiet again, so you've watched it. And then a thought gets triggered, you know. Um, the memory of the situation happens again. And you have a choice. If you're really paying attention, you have a choice. You can actually go replay it, 
which many of us do. We'll just go replay it and replay it and replay it and get angry all over again and, uh, and maybe even build on it this time. You know, you know, this time it's just they didn't just say that, that, that comment. But, you know, they're also, you know, they're also kind of lazy and they're, you know, and we build up a case against this person. You know, so all those things can, can get added on. And, um, but if we notice that just replaying it is the cause of the aversion, then we can prevent the anger from arising. So in the fourth foundation, with each one of the hindrances, we want to watch it start. What is it like when it's full on? How does it disappear? And how do we prevent it from arising again? You can't do that when the mind, you know, you just sat down for a busy day and your mind's moving, you know, 100 miles an hour. So this is something that you really work with as the mind gets a little bit more settled. The, the hindrances um, to get deeply concentrated have to be suspended. We never get rid of them. We don't get rid of them totally. But in meditation, we suspend them. We uh, keep concentrating and being mindful until the hindrances really settle down and they don't arise. Uh, so the very deep stages of inside meditation are done in a very deeply uh, concentrated state where the hindrances are not arising or not arising much. You know, they're just like little occasional dips. For a mind to be able to really develop inside, it has to be happy, it has to be calm, and it has to be concentrated to be happy and calm. I'll give you another example of being able to prevent a hindrance from arising. Um, I've mentioned this before. Um, you know, Gil tells a story about when he was a child, when he was a young boy. Um, his mother used to like to take him shopping for clothes for, for herself and drag him with her. And, you know, no matter how awake he was, when he actually um, got into the department store, he just get completely fatigued and exhausted and just couldn't keep his eyes open. And as soon as they left the store, he'd be fine again. And um, this quality of um, department store mind, what actually happened? Let's really look at it. Um, You know, here he is full of energy. And then his mom says, you know, let's go to shopping. And the thought probably arose that said, I don't want to go. And um, that's the unseen part. And because he didn't want to go, then he just stopped being there. And that's shut down all his energy. And then he's sleepy. And that's what we do all the time. Uh, Not necessarily by, uh, we don't necessarily get sleepy. But when we don't see uh, or resistance to life, we don't see the, the effects of that resistance. Uh, for instance, if, um, you know, um, you know, somebody tells us, um, um, 
You know, for instance, okay, um, if I call an area that I, I traditionally have gone in the past irritable with is when I call tech support. I know how many of you have been on, on hold for, with tech support and then um, connect with someone and finally get hold of them and they don't seem to speak English and, um, or know what your problem is. And um, so habitually, you know, that's, that's an area where I've seen in myself, you know, if I go down that path, I will get irritable. So how do I prevent myself from getting irritable? So what I do now is I try to remind myself that my happiness isn't dependent on this person being prompt and fixing my problem. And by actually having that thought directing my mind in that direction, it changes the experience for me. I can practice with being patient and I can be happy and friendly no matter what my experience is. Um, so right at this moment, are you aware of any hindrances? Are there any hindrances present? Anybody? Restlessness. Restlessness? Okay. So throughout the day, you know, at any given moment, you can check that out. Is there any resistance to life on any level? Are we grabbing something that, isn't, that we don't yet have? Are we pushing life away in any way? So the second, um, the second category of the fourth foundations is called the five aggregates, um, or the khandas in Pali. The aggregates, the actual word khandas actually means, um, I think, lumps, uh, a pile of things. That's, um, and it's actually, um, it refers to what the human personality body and experience is made up of these five different things and the things are the body which was actually the first foundation uh, the feeling tone which was actually the second foundation and the third is perception which or recognition what perception is is uh, the difference between perception and mindfulness for instance mindfulness might hear this sound and not recognize it. Perception says, ah, that's a bell. So that's, um, that's the third aggregate. The fourth aggregate, yes? Can that be labeling? Perception? Yeah, you, you can, but you don't have to label. Perception, uh, like your mind might recognize it's a bell and never actually say the word. Because we're continuously perceiving a lot of things that that we just, they're moving too fast to actually label. But any form of labeling is based on perception. Um, the fourth aggregate is called mental formations or fabrications. That's pretty much um, most of the content in your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, um, your intentions. Uh, your dreams, your fantasies, most of the, the thinking uh, part of the mind. Um, and the fifth aggregate is, uh, it's called consciousness. And people use this word in many different ways. So it's not like we're creating a definition for consciousness. Uh, so, so try to get just this particular way of using the word consciousness. And what it refers to is the part of the mind 
then knows we're seeing. That it's only in relation to the senses. Um, for instance, um, um, if you, again, if you hear the sound, you know, the ear mechanically hears something, mechanically does something, but it's the part of the mind that actually catches that and, and grabs that, has, hears it. It's, it's a very, um, but it doesn't include the thought part. It's just the part that has heard, the part that has seen, the part that has smelled, um, but without the thoughts. A lot of people, as they start questioning themselves, you know, deeply, well, who am I? You know, who is this person sitting here? You know, and they go through the aggregates, am I my body? You know, if I lost, I'm, I'm not my hand, if I lost my hand, I'd still be me, right? So you can go that throughout, even if you lost your heart, you, know, you could have a heart transplant, you know, you'd still be you. So we're not our bodies, you know, and then um, we might look a little deeper and go, well, we're not this feeling, you know, the feeling of pleasant or unpleasant. That comes and goes, that can't be me. And, you know, we're not our memories or perceptions because those change over time. Um, and, you know, a lot of us, you know, people lose their memories, you know, and uh, some of us are beginning to lose our memories. <laughs> um, and are we our thoughts? You know, we have these repetitive thoughts. Is that what, who we are? So a lot of people, as they start really, you know, questioning and exploring who we are, uh, they, they go, well, yeah, none of those things seem to be me, but the part that is aware, that sees, feels, you know, without thoughts, maybe that's who I am. And um, so I'm not going to answer that. The Buddha never answered that. The Buddha, um, he was asked, you know, many times, you know, uh, is there a self? And he, he said, I'm not going to say there is a self, and I'm not going to say there isn't one. And I'm not going to say there is or isn't one. So he kind of left it. Uh, but he said, but I can't find a self. He said, that's the only thing. The self can't be found. Uh, it doesn't mean, it do, you don't draw a conclusion from that. You know, just like, um, you know, you can't see bacteria with the naked eye. It doesn't mean it's there. It doesn't mean it's not there. So, um, so the, the usefulness of, of looking at our selves as these little lumps or aggregates, a uh, little piece at a time, is to kind of break our idea that we are the, this fixed self, that we, we keep creating this idea, this is who I am. You know, and yet that, that person who thought that's who they were 30 years ago was very different than the one sitting right here. And so by Break, by um, contemplating on these five aggregates, it allows us to kind of loosen our identification um, with the diff- you know, with our perceptions, with our points of view. Um, one of the um, uh, meditation teachers who has taught here, um, Ajahn Shumnian, uh, he's um, also a great time master, meditation master. You know, he's, um, he's not bothered by physical discomfort at all. I've watched him sit hour after hour after hour without moving. Uh, you know, he wears like the, the traditional um, 
uh, Thai robes, you know, which are very, very light, you know. And if it's cold, he says, well, I'm not cold. The body's cold, but I'm not cold. He just doesn't identify with the sensations of the body. They're there, but it's just not, you know, that's just what's happening. Um, the, um, the next of the uh, fourth foundation, okay, so we've gone over the hindrances, the aggregates. And, you know, we could spend a whole day in each of these, I mean, in working with them. But I, this is really an overview. And uh, the next is the sixth sense basis. And, um, and the main point I want to make about those, okay, so that's the eyes, the ears, uh, the nose, uh, the tongue, um, touch, and the mind. Uh, in Buddhism, uh, the mind is seen as one of the uh, senses here. And in the sense basis, what we want to notice is that the eye sees form, but it's not, it's two separate things. Um, so you have the tongue and taste. You have uh, the nose and odor. So... Um, the reason you want, you want to try to look at it through those eyes is because this is where clinging arises. We look at something and we immediately get hooked, we can immediately get hooked into it. We see someone really beautiful and, oh, I want that person. Um, and, and so by looking at it, this is the eye and this is seeing, this is form, it creates a little bit of a, a space. Um, so we can look at it a little bit differently. Um, You can, it helps you stay aware of the clinging that arises due to the senses. Um, Let me give you an example. Let's say you're walking down the street and you see this beautiful um, tree with pink blossoms. So um, if you're looking at it uh, just you know, kind of distracted, and all of a sudden pops into your view. You go, wow, that's really beautiful. I want to take a picture. Oh, I wish I had my camera. And very quickly you can get into a wanting to have this picture. And, um, you know, oh, you know, my camera's really cheap. Maybe I should get a better camera. And, you know, I could post it online and, you know, and etc. you know. Um, so, and absolutely lose connection with the situation. Because uh, clinging arose and you didn't notice it. So um, another way of looking at it as an exercise is to actually stay aware that you're seeing and that that's form. It might be a beautiful form, a pleasant form, and recognizing that. But allowing yourself to actually be present with it. This is seeing. This is the eye. It's different from the form. And, and not running with it. Um, a really wonderful practice you can do is, um, especially if you walk places, is to take each one of the senses and practice with them during the day. Like pick a day where, where every time you walk, you just, instead of um, paying attention to anything else, you pay attention to seeing. Uh, so you're um, walking to the car. So you're just notice seeing all around you. You keep a soft gaze, so you might see the parking lot. 
You might see uh, people there. You might see the cars. But you don't let your, your mind land on those things in particular. Um, another day, you might just take a walk and listen to sounds. You know, the birds chirping, the airplane passing. And really try to stay neutral as you listen to sounds. Um, you know, noticing the ear and the sound. So that if you're hearing this beautiful birds chirping, um, you know, you're just as aware, just as open as if you listen to that really loud Harley, you know, Harley Davidson driving right next to you. And, um, you know, and just uh, stay with this is the ear, this is sound. Um, and staying aware of the tendency towards, towards clinging and um, grabbing the pleasant and pushing away the unpleasant. So, um, yeah, it's a lot to cover in uh, the four foundations. Um, so, the next one we're starting is the seven factors of awakening. The first three um, were, were about um, how we cling and how we let go of clinging. Uh, the hindrances are where we're contracted, clinging. The aggregates, the same thing, is when we identify with those areas. Um, and the six sense bases are the areas where clinging occurs quite easily. The seven factors of awakening are the states of mind that we want to cultivate and develop uh, to help us free ourselves, to help us be happy. Um, the seven factors of awakening start with mindfulness. You first have to focus the mind to what is. Uh, once you focus the mind, you're pay- and it doesn't matter what the object is. So even assuming it's your breath that you're paying attention to. As you pay attention and your mindfulness gets stronger and steadier, the second factor of mindfulness can arise. And that's called investigation. And that investigation in particular refers to being able to see what's skillful and what's not skillful. And that's a very, very powerful uh, factor of awakening because it's what leads you on. If you have a thought that says, um, you know, um, uh, I've got a, you know, I've got to really work hard and concentrate and be really serious about this. You know, that actually might be a very unskillful thought because you might be really uptight, very tense. So investigation, you really look at that. So, okay, my intention is to really concentrate. Is my, what's the quality of my intention? It sounds like a good intention, but I'm actually really contracted. I'm tense. I'm, you know, scrunching my eyebrows. So investigation, we really look deeply at what mindfulness has noticed. And we notice whether what we're doing is skillful or not. As we investigate, um, the, quality, the third um, factor of awakening that arises is energy. Whenever we, have, we direct ourselves, energy seems to, tends to arise. So the more we concentrate, the more energy that is available to us. 
And um, as energy arises, um, our effort gets easier and easier. So at first, when you first sit down to meditate, you know, it's like uh, you go to the breath, you know, one, two breaths, you're off running. Okay, again. And as you keep meditating, as you keep training the mind, uh, you're able to stay on the breath and stay on the breath. And eventually, the effort becomes effortless. It just does it all by itself. And that effortless effort creates a sense of joy. Um, you can experience effortless effort in, in dancing, in music, in um, sports, in a lot of different activities. It's when you just, uh, you're so there. Uh, you know, people call it the zone. It's a very joyous, wonderful feeling. And that's the next factor of awakening. Um, energy, once it reaches the level of effortless effort, becomes joy, which is, or piti is the Pali word, which is um, this kind of rapturous, um, deep interest in everything around you, um, just kind of an ecstatic type of feeling of joy. That's, that's the fourth factor of awakening. Um, and that factor of awakening, when, it, when you first feel that, it's just like, wow, things couldn't be any better. <laughs> you know, and you get very, it's very excited, it's very energetic. And, uh, but after a while, you notice that there's, you know, it's just a little too excited. It's just a little, little restless. And so the mind starts, um, you know, staying with it and settling a little bit, getting a little bit mellower. And, and there's a, a, a better state yet, and that's tranquility. So you still have the, the energy, but the energy is just a little softer and mellower. And you're, and you're very happy and content. And that's the next factor, tranquility. And as the tranquility settles, you enter into a deep, concentrated, absorbed state. And that state is a complete unification of the mind. And there's just one point. The entire mind is all together. And it's a very deeply peaceful state. And then concentration brings us to the next and the very last factor of, of awakening, which is equanimity. And uh, equanimity is... Um, uh, I wanted to give a quote here. Um, this is a balanced mind that doesn't need anything to be different than it is. Um, some people call it one taste. Uh, you know, it could be chocolate cake or it could be uh, rotten food. Um, it's a mind that accepts anything. Um, conditions don't matter. As the... Uh, the third Zen patriarch said, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And that's that, the state of equanimity. And that's the state that, that's necessary for awakening to occur, for the deep insights to occur. Um, and if any given moment we have all those seven qualities happening right now to some degree, they're just not stable. 
You know, we all have a little bit of mindfulness, a little bit of concentration. Otherwise, you couldn't understand what I'm saying. Um, and there's a little bit of equanimity. You know, if, if somebody bumps you, you might not get upset. Uh, but all those factors can be developed and they need to be developed to be able to really, you know, be able to um, free ourselves uh, from more conditioning. Uh, the last of the five categories is the Four Noble Truths. Um, the path begins and ends with the Four Noble Truths. Uh, most, many of us have heard um, uh, the Four Noble Truths at the very beginning as an intellectual construct. Uh, the Buddha said that there is suffering in this world. There is unsatisfactoriness. And if we look around, that's true. We understand that intellectually. And um, he said the second noble truth that the cause or the origin of this suffering is uh, clinging or craving, wanting things to be different than they are. And the third noble truth, the Buddha said that um, if you let go of that clinging or craving, then you can be happy. That's, that's what it takes. And the fourth noble truth is the path on how to get there, how to do it, which is the Eightfold Path, kind of step by step how we do this. Um, and intellectually, when we think about it, you know, most of us can get very aligned with that. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. You know, it's, and as we practice, we can see it in action. But to, as we keep practicing, the four noble tr- with the Four Noble Truths, instead of going from the intellectual, the reality of the experience becomes more and more real. And the insights become, uh, become much deeper than the intellectual, oh yeah, that makes sense, into something that can truly free us from our suffering. Any moment that we investigate, like right, if you just take right at this moment, no matter what your experience is, no matter how concentrated you are at this moment, if there's a hindrance present, let's say, is there something you might want right now to be different? You know, think about it for a moment. Is there anything right at this moment that you, that, that a certain part of your mind's a little restless and wants, wants something just a little different? Now, can you, can you let that go? If you can let that go, that's the ending of suffering. That's actually the process of the ending of suffering. We're doing it all the time. We let go of the clinging to wanting things to be different. Of course, we take it up immediately again. (laughs) Uh, but, But that's the process. And by paying attention and working with the Four Noble Truths, um, you know, is there suffering right now? And how much of this suffering or unsatisfactoriness can I let go of right now? We're practicing freedom. We're putting it down. You can do it anywhere, anytime. Is there suffering now? Can I let go of this suffering? And, you know, and for those of you, you know, sometimes we use the word suffering too, too loosely. Any form of unsatisfactoriness, it's not really, you know, major suffering. We really mean anything, the slightest irritation. Can I let that go? Sometimes, you know, we cover like 
a lot and you know like I said 21 exercises if you think of it that way and um, there's different ways you know having the map of it uh, can be really helpful because when you're sitting in meditation um, and let's say you're um, uh, you're starting to enter um, a very kind of excited excited happy state you know, just knowing that if you stay with it, it leads into a little bit of tranquility. It can be helpful. It can guide you. Um, there's people who systematically use the system and work through it day after day. They start with one of them and go on to the next. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to work with it, which can be a little bit confusing. So if you find it confusing at all, I just want to end with a quote from Pima Chodron. She said, if your everyday practice is to open to all your emotions, to all the people you meet, to all the situations you encounter without closing down, trusting that you can do that, then that will take you as far as you can go. And then you'll you'll understand all the teachings that anyone has ever taught. So that's um, that's what I had for tonight. Does anyone have any questions about this, or any questions about your practice, or about any of the um, four foundations of how you might want to work with them in your life, in your practice? Yes. You used an expression that I found very helpful. You said resisting life. And that was really evocative for me. I don't know if that worked that same way for other people. It's like, oh, yeah, I do resist. And the resistance is in a lot of the different forms. The other thing that that verbiage that really worked for me was talking about the, the misfilters. That you have this set of filters and you look at the same set of you through these different um, filters. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I can look at it this way. It's not quite as daunting as it can be when you think that you've got all these categories and it's like, you know, it sounds like Motown groups. (laughs) It's like, no, thank you. Yeah, a lot of the, you know, a lot of my practice with these different categories has been on retreat. You know, you don't want to sit down if you're sitting for, say, 45 minutes a day and try to go through these categories, you know. Uh, but but um, sometimes the teacher will actually lead you through them throughout a retreat. Uh, Gil has done that at times where he's taken a whole retreat and just gone through them. Uh, so there's different ways of working with them. Uh, but sometimes just really getting familiar with them uh, really helps us, uh, you know, work with them at, at times that are sometimes unexpected even. Well, thank you very much.